Isn't religion just a crutch for people who are afraid of death? Someone said. This was like minute 10 of this month's Bethany book group. Off to a good start. And as often happens to me as an introvert who needs to think things out before he responds, I spent the next several minutes formulating what I wanted to say, and then by the time I was ready to say something, the group had moved on. Fortunately, I have the chance to think about things and then talk for a while here at least twice a month. So the first thing I would say is, sure. Death is scary, and faith is a comfort, at least to me. And religion has definitely been used as a crutch. The story, this story that we tell about a God who loves and cares for us and welcomes us even beyond death has been used as a crutch. I've used it. I use it as a crutch sometimes, which I take to mean a kind of shortcut past all of the confusion and uncertainty that accompanies life. The fact that none of us have any evidence for the question of why we are here, why anything exists at all, earth and water and fire and air and us. The fact that the answer to this most fundamental question of life is completely unknown, that's scary. And religion provides a way around that fear, or through it. It gives an answer, a story to tell and to live. It means we don't just have to sit in the existential dread of the possible meaninglessness of life. That's what I take folks to mean when they say religion is a crutch. That it lets us off the hook, removes the sting of death's finality that it's not hardcore enough to admit the truth of life's meaninglessness. And that's basically right. But meaninglessness is also a crutch. Just ask Elsa, which is a phrase I didn't really imagine saying in this pulpit. I'm gonna wager a phrase that has never been said in this pulpit before. And if you're worried that the sermon is going to go too Disney for you at this point, just keep in mind that I have already used the phrase, the existential dread of the possible meaninglessness of life. I think we're hitting a nice medium. Even though we've been saying all month, you don't have to see this movie, I'm going to dive deep into Frozen 2 this morning, but I promise to take you with me and also to avoid spoilers. Elsa is tempted by this shortcut of meaninglessness. Tempted by the idea that there is nothing beyond what she can see, what she already knows, her family, her kingdom, the life she has built. It's neat and tidy and understood, and there's nothing more. And then she hears a voice. I'm not going to do it. It's not a voice that says anything exactly. It just sings, ah, okay, I guess I am going to do it. But the fact of its existence, if she chooses to acknowledge it, means there's something more to her life than she had assumed. It means the answers that she's found, the neat and tidy life built on what she can see, might not be the whole story. And that's scary, too. 
So she tries to ignore it, which is the song the choir sang last week. You're not a voice, you're just a ringing in my ears. I've had my adventure, I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. Elsa knows that meaninglessness is a crutch. It's a comfort, it's a shortcut past all the confusion and uncertainty that accompanies life, the fact that none of us has any evidence, any answers for the most fundamental question of our existence. Why? That's scary, and meaninglessness provides a way around that fear. It gives an answer, a story, that means we don't have to sit in our unknowing in our fear. We don't have to wonder if there could maybe be a meaning to life, and if so, what it is. Because if there's something beyond what we can see, it might ask something of us, of our lives. We'd have to figure out what that something was and what, if anything, it wants from us. We'd have to be brave enough to listen to it, to follow it, we'd have to risk failing and risk being wrong altogether. It would be much easier, much simpler, much more comforting to stick with what we know. And if you don't want to take a cartoon princess's word for it, maybe you'll take Jeremiah's. He knows how scary the possibility of a life of meaning can be. He hears a voice, it breaks into the middle of his life, which he's got more or less the way he wants it. It breaks in when he's comfortable with the world as he sees it and knows it. He hears a voice and it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah finds that terrifying. He responds, ah, Lord God, which you can read as, ah, Lord God, or ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. Jeremiah is afraid, yes, of being a prophet and telling his people bad news, but I think he's afraid of something else too. He's afraid of the significance which this voice, if he chooses to acknowledge it, has placed on his life if he chooses to believe that ringing in his ears, then his entire understanding of his life will change. If he chooses to believe the story he's being told, then his life is not meaningless, but in fact overwhelmingly meaningful. Since before he was born, he had a purpose. He had been known and planned for, and there are things he's supposed to do, work he was created to accomplish. If this story is true, then everything he does matters. And whether he does it, and whether he does it well, the way he lives his life in every moment has significance, not just for him, but for others, and maybe on some cosmic level, maybe as part of some bigger story. That is scary. It's so scary that the response that Jeremiah gives is the same response that like every prophet in the Bible gives. No, not me, not now, not yet, not this. 
They all come up with different excuses. I'm too young, I don't speak well, they won't believe me, but basically no one wants the burden of meaning so much. Maybe you felt that fear of meaning. I definitely have. Trying to figure out what to study, what work to do, trying to determine what I'm created for and whether I'm doing it and whether I'm doing it well. I felt it on that big meaning of life level and also on the small day-to-day level. If my life actually has meaning and purpose, if my actions and my choices matter, then how do I even make small choices? I am infamous for once spending an hour and a half in a bed, bath, and beyond trying to pick out a single pot for my first apartment. I walked around, sometimes holding one of the pots to see how it felt, as I paced the store, weighing questions like how much does it cost and how was it made and of what and by whom under what circumstances and how large is it and who will I be feeding with it and how often will I cook with it and what kinds of food and how often will I clean it and what will I use. Those kinds of choices can be paralyzing if what I choose matters. They can be scary, at least for me in Bed Bath and Beyond. Which is why not choosing is a shortcut too. In case you thought the sermon was coming down firmly in favor of agnosticism, it's great, but there is something good about saying that we don't know, admitting that we don't know, can't know. It's true, for one, we don't, we can't. To be honest about it doesn't take a shortcut around the mystery of life. It stares straight into the unknown, the unknowable question of the meaning of our existence. But it's still a shortcut, because it's scary to have to choose, to admit that you don't really know what life is for, what it's about, not with certainty, and still to commit to a life anyway, to live a life anyway to not get frozen in place, to set out in some direction toward something, not knowing, is scary. Because you could be wrong, and you have only one life, and you could waste the entire thing on a story that turns out not to be true. That's terrifying. It's all terrifying. The possibility of meaninglessness, that maybe all of this is just some kind of accident that adds up to nothing. The possibility of meaningfulness, that actually everything we do has consequence, that on the cosmic level, the need to choose to live one story. Because life does not stop and let us think until we're sure. It's all scary, and it's all shortcut. The story that there's nothing beyond what I can see and know, and so none of it matters all that much. The story that there is something beyond, and that something gives meaning and comfort to our suffering. The refusal to choose a story because you can't be wrong if you never commit. It's all a shortcut around whatever we fear most. So this is my response to the question in our book group. 
because none of us knows, because none of us can know, and because each of us has to decide which voice we will listen to and which story we will live, I have chosen one that says I am made for love that you are made for love, that everything that is, is made for love, to give it and receive it. That's the answer to the question of the why of our existence, that we are made for and by love in this story. I've chosen a story that says that every one of us was known and cared for even before our births, planned for, needed, even consecrated to important work that we are meant to accomplish. That work is the work of love, to make this place, this world, this life good and loving. And after all of our choosing and storytelling and loving and failing and doubt and fear and bravery and shortcuts, there is one who sees it all and blesses it all and then completes it all. Do I have any evidence for this? Sure. I've heard the voice telling me it's true. I've felt the tug toward this particular adventure. Like Elsa, it's a story that I have been hearing since I was a child, and it's a story that I hope to pass on to my child. It's a story I believe, the story I believe. But is it anything I could prove to you? Of course not. Do I know it without a doubt? How could I? But I have chosen. I have had to, have to. Life will not stop. I will end up telling one story or another, even if I pace around afraid to decide. So I chose the most beautiful story I have heard and I've decided to bet my life on it, to live my life for it, for love, because even if it's wrong, it seems worth the risk.